Hey, hey. Okay, so you guys know that I've moved my platform over to Patreon, and that's patreon.com slash Jamie Glowacki. So everything is moved there. That's where I'm now housing all my parenting content. For a dollar a month, you can access all the episodes of my podcast, but no worries if you don't want to do any financial commitment at all. We'll continue to release selected episodes here on your favorite listening platform. And just so you know, I also put up free public posts and mini podcasts on that Patreon page. So all you have to do is head over to that main page, patreon.com slash Jamie Glowacki, and you can see my free public posts and mini podcasts. Head over there to check it all out. And now on to today's show. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki, and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey, you guys, and continuing my conversations with people who I find fascinating. Today, I'm here with Jessica Suero. She and her husband, Will, and their kids, Avalon and Largo, are world-traveling, homeschooling, best kind of bohemian vagabonds you ever want to meet. They have an amazing YouTube channel and a company called World Towning, and I have so many freaking questions I want to ask this woman. Like, I want to sit and keep her in my back pocket and pull her out. <laughs> Welcome, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for that grand introduction. I hope I live up to it. I feel like we need like a couple of bottles of wine, some cheese, a baguette, and like six hours to talk. But we will do the best we have in the time that we have. <laughs> All right. Was there anything I missed in the intro that you would like people to know about you? No, I think you did a great job. And if anyone wants to follow us, we're World Towning on all social media. And you can pretty much find us there all the time. Okay. And Avalon is a junior in high school, correct? Correct. And Largo is middle school? Well, actually, Avalon, I guess now that it's, you know, we're in the summer period, Avalon is, go- is going into her senior year in high school and Largo is going into his freshman year in high school. Oh, wow. Okay, you guys, we're not going to talk about this today, but go check out their YouTube channel because she just did a video about homeschooling high school with Avalon. Avalon has dreams to go to upper level university. This was the most intense, amazing homeschool video I've ever watched. And I've been homeschooling a long time and I've been watching a lot of homeschool videos. (laughs) And I found it fascinating because I am a wildly different homeschooler and my son does not have such aspirations. So he's more of like a trades kid. And so I've had to shape my life to suit that. And um, it's been amazing that what... What was your decision to go on the road? When did you guys start? Like six years ago, right? We're on our seventh year. We'll be starting our eighth year in October. And we had, Will and I had always wanted to travel with the kids, but we were responsible career people. And we had no idea that you could just do this on your own. Like our plan was to go through his corporate accounting job and go as expats go with a package where it's nice and safe and secure and they pay for your housing and they pay for the kids' private school. You can fly back twice a year to get your teeth cleaned and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine years later, it took us seven years to actually launch on our own. A lot of those expat packages kept falling through for us. And by the time we got to the point where we're like, I don't think this is going to happen. You know, I don't think they're going to send us. Stuff was happening with the companies and we were a family of four. So it was a lot more expensive to send us than two young professionals, pre-kids. And we'd made it, we had to make a decision like, okay, how how are we going to do this? And if we're going to do it without the company, is that even possible? Do people do that? And we came to the conclusion that 
it just wasn't going to work. And that maybe our compromise would be just going traveling summers. I worked from home already. I had a graphic design business. My husband would be able to come for us for his two or three weeks vacation a summer. And we would separate for the summer and I would travel with the kids in the summer and try and balance my design business while adventuring with the kids. And so we kind of took this out on the road for practice and did a summer in Paris. And my son, my husband was actually able to come with us because the company, long story short, but the company said, you know, you can go work from the Paris office for the summer. So he, he came with us. I worked every other day. So I'd spend a day working at home in our, our, our rental apartment, trying to manage the kids, keep them interested, give them projects, have them doing research about Paris while I was working. And then the next day we would go out and adventure. And it was exhausting. Our toilet broke all the time. Our daughter got mono, was hospitalized for five days. We just had a crap shit apartment, broken air conditioner. It was just awful. But we came out of the summer going, wow, that was a pretty cool summer. Our kids thrived. Our relationship thrived. We were able to work and adventure and parent and do all this kind of stuff at the same time. And we realized, hey, we could probably do this on our own. So why don't we try and do this? So we came back from our summer in Paris and we gave ourselves 12 months to sell all of our stuff, to figure out how to handle medical, to kind of try to learn how to homeschool because we had never done that before, to figure out visas, where we were going to live, how we were going to learn the languages, all that kind of stuff. And 13 months later, we left the United States for Costa Rica. And the catalyst for all of this was that we felt that there was such value in learning out in the world and our children learning beyond the boundaries of the four walls of a gray or tan or whatever classroom. It's not that we were anti this. We just felt that there was a better option, an additional option. And at the time, we had our kids in a private international school and we were paying a crap load of money for it because we wanted international. We wanted, it was a language school. So we wanted the language. We wanted international community. We wanted an education. It was an IB program. So an education that had a more global approach. And when we sat down and we said, oh, let's see, we're paying $40,000 a year for the school for two kids. We have no money left every month. We're always just barely making by or a bit in the red. How are we going to sustain this forever? We don't have any family time together. We're ships passing in the night. Let's see if we can get what we have here out in the world. That's kind of the shortened version of, of how we got out in the road. And, and, and we wanted to do it for global education for our kids, more family time, tighter bond as a family, and also to be having and creating memories over buying stuff. And so that, that's kind of the basis of why we did it. But we had a normal life like everyone else. It wasn't like we were just kind of already out there doing this weird and crazy thing. Right. That's what I want to talk about. Wait, you guys, I want to just say that, that Jessica is coming to this podcast from a boat in Mallorca. So if we have connectivity issues, it's worth it because she's in a boat in fucking Mallorca. Like, how cool is that? All right. There's so much that I want to dive into. Number one. I work with people who feel trapped in their existence. Two parents working their asses off, kids are in daycare, they have no family time. I spent my formative years in San Francisco. So family means whatever. <laughs> like I, I've seen every version of a family. I always knew that my existence was mine to create. And if I was unhappy with my job, I could create, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always had my own business because I'm a bitch who cannot work for somebody else because I'm 53 years old and I'll be damned if I'm going to ask you if I can go to the bathroom, right? <laughs> like, so I never played well with others. So I had to become an entrepreneur, but I try to tell people all the time, like you can create your world. And I think people are so afraid so afraid of stepping yeah. out of that box. What if I fuck up my kids? 
what if I get lost? What if I get attacked in Africa? What if I <laughs> like, you know, I'm sorry, what if I can't get my teeth cleaned? <laughs> I think the first thing we all need to realize is we're all going to fuck up our kids. So it doesn't really matter where we are in the, where we are in the world, right? We're going to do something wrong. And once we realize that we're going to do something wrong in this equation, then that opens up our freedom to say, okay, I'm going to do something wrong. So why not try this something different? Because inevitably, if I stay right here, I'm going to do something wrong. And if I go over here, I'm going to do something wrong too. So Mm -hmm. why wouldn't you just kind of take that leap? It's funny when you said, you know, the people that are listening to this feel, feel stuck and like, you know, ships passing in the night, like I actually got a lump in my throat. Like my eyes started to well a little bit because I remember that feeling. I remember that feeling and how awful it felt and how it felt like, gosh, is this, is this all there is for our family? Is this what happens? Is this that you, you buy the house and, um, and we had a pretty wild and crazy life kind of before kids. And then life got very different because we felt like this is how it should be, but it didn't feel like we were honoring what we felt was best with how we wanted to raise our children. And, and like you said, stepping outside of what is normal, it's difficult. There's a lot of criticism. Everyone has an opinion. People are going to tell you you're screwing up your life, your career, their American dream that they have for your children, grandparents, friends, everyone has an opinion. So I think that that, that is a natural and normal fear. Absolutely. Hands down. I mean, we, we've definitely had it, but fear is part of life, right? Because we still have it today. Like we, we spent 30 hours sailing to where we are. And I was like, oh my God, I hope we don't die. You know, we're new sailors. Like <laughs> anything can happen, right? <laughs> really don't want to die before I get to the point of I can actually wear my bathing suit, right? Oh my God. So how long did it take you? Okay, so you had this like normal life. You were like, fuck, we're ships passing the night. I don't even know my kids. I want more family time. When did you get the spark of like, you know, I know it was like the expat thing, but about how long did that take you from, from start to finish? Cause oh. I know when I was deciding on homeschooling, I puked every night. Like I was like, this is the most monumental stepping out of the box ever. And what if I fuck it up? And so I was a yeah. disaster. <laughs> it took us, we are not one of those people that you see that you watch a vlog and like in six months they decided we're going to sell it all and change your life. Not at all. It took us seven years. Um, okay. seven years because, because we were, we were raised in a society and in families where the responsible thing to do was have this career, have the house, have this, um, follow this path. And then anything outside of that would be not very responsible. And like you said, could screw up our kids' lives. So for us to actually, and I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs and I've had my own businesses way before we started traveling, but to actually step beyond that and actually travel and run these businesses was like nothing I'd ever seen before ever. I didn't know anyone was doing it. It wasn't as talked about. There wasn't YouTube like there is now. So there was no resources out there. You know, it was like stepping into this thing of, wow, I guess we are really, we're really, really jumping into a zone that we know absolutely nothing about. And you can't go to the library or something and research it, right? It just wasn't out there. So it took us seven years and it was, it was like a slow chipping away. We were living in Los Angeles. I was pregnant with our son. And he said, what do you think about an expat package? We were sitting in Venice beach. He was having a margarita. I wasn't having anything because I was pregnant. Our two and a half year old daughter was there. And he said, what do you think about an expat package? And I said, oh yeah, let's do it. I'm, I'm all in. And Basically what happened is we were steps away from moving to Madrid and the company that we were going to be going work for found out I was pregnant and that was an issue. Um, It's a long story, but he was going to have to go there without me and I was going to have to stay in LA and have the baby. We were like, no. So we said he was kind of really upset with the company about the situation. He left the company. We said, screw it. We'll just move to Boston. 
you know, let's move to Boston. This is done. This isn't going to happen. So we spent several years in a suburb of Boston thinking that this wasn't happening, not even really thinking about it. We bought a house. We said, this is going to be our forever house. That's hilarious at this point, but this is going to be our forever house. We're going to stay here for the next 20 years. Right. And, you know, we went through a couple of years in this suburb of Boston and we just were not happy. And that travel was still like digging at us. Like it still was in our ear. It wasn't like we were talking about every day, but it was still something we really wanted to do with our children, both of us. So then he started entertaining expat packages with the new company. And several years went by then they kept saying, yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And when they got to the point where they said, it's almost happening, we actually rented our house. We moved right into the city. We got into an apartment so we could go like overnight. Like we could leave under the cover of darkness if they said we're ready. We were ready. Right. Two years later, we're still in this very expensive apartment in the city. And that's when we made the decision of that's it. We're just doing it. But it was seven years for us. That's good to know, I think. I think. Yeah, it is good to know. And there were some, I like to say, I wish, because, you know, we're on the latter end of this whole journey with our kids still being at home and doing this. And I want more time, right? We always want more time as parents, no matter what we do. So I think of it, and sometimes I say to Will, you know, it'd be great if we had started a couple of years earlier, but there were some decisions we made in there, um, some investments in real estate that would not have happened that have been very helpful to us through COVID times because we have a travel-based business. So had we not made those investments and had that and that option to to liquidate those investments, we might have had to go back. Um, yeah, yeah. And so I'm, you know, everything happens for a reason, right? Uh, yeah. But it, we were we were not an overnight success story. And sometimes when we talk about it, we say, you know, would we have lasted if we just did it like that? I mean, we knew what it took to get here, him and I, and this is just our personalities. We know how long it took to get here. We know how hard it's been to stay out here. And we don't want to lose that. So we're willing to do whatever it takes to be able to keep this lifestyle that we've created. You know, I mean, I'm sure there yeah. are people out there that it works for quite quickly, but for us, that was not the case. I think it's important though, because I think people look at your lifestyle or somebody like you and think that you're an impetuous, like, hey, let's just do it in this like crazy zest for life. And I am that person, but I jump into pools with no water regularly because I'm like, yeah. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm used to backtracking. So I think it's really good for people out there who are planners. Like, yeah, take a long time. But let me ask you this. So when your kids, had you done it when your kids were younger, I am such a fanatic about rhythm and routine in our lives, especially for our little guys, like under five, rhythm and routine. What are some of the things you guys do? Because you're in a different time zone tomorrow. Like, do you have any like talisman or touchstones as a family that keep your rhythm and routine? So this has changed over the years as our kids age. We've always, always read to them every single night. So that's something that brings our family together and connects. And we only recently stopped that about a year ago. Okay. So our kids were like 12 and 15 when we stopped. Um, Obviously we weren't reading Sally jumps over the bridge you know, we were reading more um, intense books in the, in the later, the early teen years with them. But that had been, and only reason we stopped because they both said, I have my other books I want to read. I want to be reading on my own. And we we're like, okay, it's time to cut this. But for well over a decade, that was one of our things that connected us as a family was the reading. Uh, we've always had dinner together wherever we are in the world. Sometimes it's just throwing some cheese on a plate and a, and a dry baguette. You know, sometimes it's making sushi as a family. This is what's really helped our family as a family, but also as being travelers, is that 
often our backdrop is ever changing. Our time zone is changing. The languages we're, we're navigating in is changing. The currency might be changing, but the consistency we keep within our family is, is always there. We're a very, very, uh, like I said, reading together, eating together. We're a very low tech family outside of school. And we always have been. That's kind of been our thing. There's been a lot of art in, in the family, a lot of creativity. And those things kind of keep us centered and together and refocus us when we're struggling. And it happens more so than not now that we move, right? Because we're changing our environment so much. Yeah. Um, not as much when we lived in an RV and now that we're living on a boat, but when we were traveling and traveling by, via Airbnb or hostels, and stuff like that, we had to really make sure we kept those, we call them traditions. You, you know, you can call them whatever you want, but those consistencies within our life as a family, yeah. we kept those things consistent. So we felt connected. And often people will say, well, there's, there's no stability in the, the way that you're living your life. And you're not, you don't have a home. You know, I'm like, we have a home. We just don't ha always have a house we put it in, right? The stability is in these traditions and these rituals that we create as a family to connect us deeper. So I hope that answered you're, your question. Oh my God, you're, no, you're like, I feel like telling everybody listening to this, I told you so. <laughs> it, to me, home is in the heart and your house can change. And I have just, I have a lot of private clients. I have a lot of people, a lot of patrons who talk to me about, you know, the pandemic screwed everything up. and. People are shifting. They might be living with their parents and they don't, I said, listen, you, I call them um, touchstones. So the traditions yeah. like, and reading, I always say like, if, if it's not in the evening at three, three o'clock, everybody sit down and read, um, yeah. you know, di dinner or breakfast or lunch. It doesn't always have to be, but one meal so that you have these, these touchstones throughout the day. And it doesn't matter where you are because the connection is there and you can move as a unit you know, your family culture is intact no matter where you are. Absolutely. And you know, another one I just thought of is that now this would really only apply to say someone that's a stay-at-home parent or someone who works from home. But we have always had a policy in our home that if you have a question about something, if you're struggling about something mentally, emotionally, whatever the case may be, you can interrupt us. Now, if I'm on a podcast like this, they're not going to come interrupt. But when I get off, if they say, well, you know what? I'm either, I'm not feeling it. My stomach hurts or I'm really struggling with this thing in school, or my friend said this, and this upset me, we have basically an open door policy all the time. And some days that means we sit down at our computer at eight in the morning and we don't finish till midnight. And it's not always because we're working long hours. It's because we maybe took a two hour break in the middle of the day to work through something that they were having trouble with or struggling with. And I think that I know that's not always the case for everyone because, you know, some people are going to an office, but I found that has been, it's not always easy if you're working from home to stop and kind of get out of your train. And then sometimes it takes you a half an hour to get back in. But I've found that those, that time where they can come and know that you're accessible has been really, really helpful um, for them yeah. to have that connection with us. Absolutely. But now you bring up a, a couple of points. How are your kids doing with friends? Because I asked this specifically. So I've been homeschooling Pascal since uh, I took him out of first grade. And everything was fine. Everything was fine. It took me a long time to land on unschooling. When I first started homeschooling, I thought they were whack jobs. <laughs> now I'm one. But right around middle school, he expressed loneliness. And I asked him outright, I said, do you want to go back to school? And he said, no. And I said, well, then we need to stop everything and figure out this social component. And so we really even let academics go by the wayside because I said, this is really important. And what I noticed, especially with it seems boys, 
is they just need a couple of core tread guys like that are their people. And so I was curious how you navigate that with Avalon and Margo. Okay, so let's talk pandemic and pre-pandemic. Okay. Pandemic's been incredibly difficult for them. How we normally navigated social has been thrown out the window and we've been in France most of the pandemic and locked down extensively. And we had a lot of friends within two hours that we could not see. So the pandemic was just like everyone else. Our life is no different. Our complete social aspect of our life was blown up, locked in, and it was awful. So I'm not going to talk on that too much because I, you know, I'm hoping at this point we're coming out of it and people are, you know, we're all struggling, but we're finding our way back or finding our way to the new area we want to go to. So before that, Social had never, ever been something that they they questioned or missed or anything like that in the younger years. We have always put a huge amount of effort into the social aspect of our lifestyle, even when Will and I didn't want to and were exhausted. It didn't feel like socializing or maybe didn't feel like socializing with these certain people. We still made the effort. Just to give a couple of examples, when we moved to um, Ecuador, and France, our son was going to a local school there. Our daughter wanted to be homeschooled and he was going to a French Spanish school. And immediately within two weeks of school, we sent out an invitation to every kid in his class and said, you and your family is welcome to come to a party at our house. We didn't speak the language. Um, The Spanish, my husband spoke, but I didn't speak any. France, neither one of us spoke the language. We just said, you know, that fear thing, we just said the hell with it. We're just going to invite people and some will come. And some won't. And some of the people that come will be like, this is weird. This family's weird. They're homeschooling a kid. And this one's going to school. You know, and I'm not, I'm going to be honest. People did say that. And then other people were like, oh my God, where have you been my whole life? I want to be friends with you. So we made a real effort to form these tribes and communities for the first three years of travel because we spent nine to 12 months in one location. So we made local friends. We're also part of a lot of Facebook groups of other people that were traveling a little bit faster. So when they would come through wherever we were, we would connect and hook up. So there was a lot of social in those first three years. And the kids... I don't even know if they wanted that much, but they got it. Um, Avalon and I were part of local homeschooling groups. So we met with other kids and parents and families on Fridays. They were all unschoolers, by the way. Lovely, lovely community for us. Really amazing. And just so incredibly welcoming, especially since my Spanish was terrible. So I just kind of stood there (laughs) like weird woman in the corner, just looking at everyone. After those three years, we went into an RV for three and a half years. So we were moving more transient. That's when it became a little more difficult. They were not asking for more social, but we had to make even more of an effort. At that point, we had been traveling for three years. We knew a lot of people who had traveled and then settled down in certain parts of Europe. We knew a lot of people who were still traveling throughout Europe. And we also had a lot of friends in the south of France because we lived there for a year. So we would go out of our way to go meet with people, spend a weekend at their house, you know, drive all the way, say, from part of Switzerland to Paris because friends are going to be there on a week vacation. Go back to the south of France for months so we could hang out with all of our friends in the south. Towards the end of our RV stint, because we're in a lot of Eastern Europe and we didn't know as many people there, they were saying, you know, I think we need more social. We need to figure things out. And so around that time, more our daughter, not our son. He was still pretty little. She said, I'm going to try and find, make for more of an online community. So she created a book club because she loves to read and then invited kids to come join the book club. And she formed a community there, which she eventually turned into a business. And now she charges and, and does book clubs for kids younger than her. So that's a whole, you know, if you want to check her out, it's avalonsuero.com. She's, and she also has a tutoring business as well. Um, we'll give a little plug for her. So 
at that point, she found a way to get more social in her life. Um, she joined a Dungeons and Dragons group, group online. And, and so it was more virtual friends at that point because yeah. we were in Eastern Europe. We came back. We hooked up again with all of our friends in the South of France. And then we went to Asia and COVID hit. So once COVID hit, it got really bad because we were in Japan for five months and there were no other travelers. We couldn't connect with the locals because we didn't speak the language. And in, in Europe, we're able to speak French, Spanish, and English, so we can connect with almost anyone. Yeah. But in Japan, we could not. So things got very lonely during COVID times. And then we came back to France and we were locked down. So couldn't see friends here. No other friends were traveling. No other travelers were out. Everyone went home. Yeah. So long story short, we won't, we won't fixate on the COVID aspect of it. We have made a huge effort as parents to keep the social in our life. And now it's not as much work because the kids keep in touch with their friends um, online. They would definitely like more in-person meetups because it's been over a year where we've had very, very few of those. We've had a lot in like the last two months, but before that we didn't. So someone we know created the Balearic Islands where we are, kid boat group. And so there's like 40 of us in there. We're all kind of strategically meeting up wherever we can. Like, hey, where are you today? Oh, we're here. Oh, we're in Ibiza. I'll be there next week. Um, So it's been challenging through COVID, but in general, we're pretty proactive with it. Will and I are very social people, so it's not so difficult for us. We have had clients and other travelers say that it's a little more difficult for them because they're introverts and their kids an extrovert. And how do they meet meet these needs? It's a common thing for people that that travel that everyone needs social and teenagers really need it. So how to find that and how to get it and how to navigate it is, is quite crucial. People ask me about homeschooling and I'm always said the social is you have to step out of your comfort zone. And I present as an extrovert, but I still have to, I still have to push myself and it's huge. But I think the biggest takeaway out of what you just said is once again, creating what you need. And Avalon found it in books and my son found it. My son's an avid hunter, believes in land management, conservation, DEM. He wants to be an environmental police, you know, and he's creating hunting clubs. So it's, you know, you can find it, but you have to like listen to your kid's interest and be willing to yeah. act on that, you know? Absolutely. And I know, Absolutely. I think it sounds like we're super creative people, which we might be, but I know people get very locked into, well, I'm not that creative. I'm not that social. And I say, listen, once you start homeschooling you, and I would imagine by default, just traveling with your kids and being so close to them, you hear different, you hear them, you go, oh, that's, that's smart. Some, there's something there. There's something there, you know? I'm in my late 40s. You're in your early 50s. This is not how we made friends growing up. We didn't make friends online. We didn't go out and meet up with some random person. Um, we didn't meet up with some, you know, people, there weren't many homeschoolers. So it's really important as well as difficult for our generation to change our thought process on how kids make friends and how they maintain them. And like you said, we have to contribute to that. So I am an extrovert and I love people and I love meeting with people, but I'm also in my late forties and sometimes I'm tired and sometimes I have work and I don't feel like going out and meeting someone and saying, Oh, you know, learning about their whole life history. And then, you know, having to kind of start at the beginning again, like, I'm like, I got a bunch of friends. I, you know, I don't know how many more I want. I'm tired. Right. So we have to be willing to cut, like you said, come out of our comfort zone and put in the extra effort when you've made a lifestyle choice, like homeschooling or unschooling, even if you're living a stationary life or traveling, you might have to decide, okay, my kid isn't meeting kids at school, how at the brick and mortar school, how I met them and they're lonely. So now I have to make a decision. I need to go online, say they're 10 
and they're not going online to do this themselves. And I have to find a local homeschooling group, or I have to find a a class that might interest them that has unschoolers, you know, talking about their aspirations or whatever. Like it's definitely more effort and work on the parents end for the younger ones. But if you want to choose this different path, it's going to be more work. That's, I mean, the world, my will always says the world is built for those who follow the rules and follow the norm. And if you want to step outside of that, you're going to have to work for it. But it's going to be a really good point. That's a really good point. I always don't think of it as work because it's so much pleasing. It's so pleasing to me to be outside of the box. Right. I can't, I, I, for me to stay in the box would be so much work. (laughs) Right. Like I'd rather do the extra social work. (laughs) Right. It's funny you say that because I'm like, you know, we have no, we have no commitments anymore. Like so-and-so from work is having a party and we don't really like them, but we have to go, you know, those things. So I agree with you. I don't consider it work and more, maybe work isn't the right word, but it can be exhausting because it's not, you have to do more research. It's not as easy as saying, Go over Joe's house next door. Yeah. You know, it's like you have to put in more effort. The exactly. effort is worth it with anything in life, right? The more effort you put in, the more you get out of it, the more reward. Exactly. All right. I want to hit a couple of things. I know you sold all your shit to live this life. What are your rules around minimalism? You guys are in boats, you're in RVs, you're in Airbnbs. Like, do you have a, if something comes in, something's got to go out? Like, what's your, how do you handle oh, stuff? Oh, gosh. I feel like we need a therapist for this. So we started out, we, we sold almost all of our stuff, put the rest in storage. Two years later, we went back. We had 15% of our stuff left. We sold another 10%. We we're like, why the hell did we keep this? Why would I keep that? So we have 5% in storage and it's like artwork, Christmas decorations, some skis, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. When we left the United States, we left with eight bags and eight carry-ons. So you get two free checked bags and two carry-ons per person. We left with a sewing machine, a guitar, a dog, all this stuff. So we left with what we, what seemed like very little, but is so massive. Now we went, we lived in places for nine to 12 months at a time. And after those, and we dragged those eight bags and two carry-ons from Costa Rica to Ecuador, to France in the first three years. Then we moved into the RV And for about three or four months, we couldn't even walk inside the RV because we brought all of our shit with us, right? And we were like, oh, we have to keep this. We have to keep that. Well, we had to downsize even more, even though we had very little. So we had to pick and choose. So the art supply cabinet went from like a crate of stuff to like a small drawer. I am by nature a minimalist. Will and I have never, ever been huge consumers, even when we had, you know, the three-bedroom house and the finished basement. We're just not, Will's consuming is tech is definitely tech. I don't, I'm just not a big consumer. I find like, like eclectic or like antique or vintage stuff someplace at a flea market in Paris. And I might pick up, you know, something that's the size of a quarter. But other than that, I'm not a huge consumer. When we got out of the RV, we had a couple bags stored at a friend's, but the plan was to go to Asia for a year with one suitcase and one carry on each. And we managed to get rid of everything, one suitcase, one carry on each, and then one extra bag. So I think we did pretty well. Unless it serves a function or brings us an intense amount of joy, it doesn't stay. And now that we're on a boat, the boat stuff that doesn't really bring me that much joy, like, um, let's see, a backup filter for the toilet, you know, that doesn't bring me any joy, (laughs) right? But I need that. So there's a huge percentage of stuff on this boat that is a necessity to survive, to function, to live 
to sale, right, uh, right? which leaves very little space for anything else. And that's okay because we're so used to living like this, but the boat is the biggest space that we have lived in since we went into the RV, which was like five years ago. We really make a huge effort. I don't like to clean and I don't like to spend my time maintaining and cleaning that stuff that I don't really need or want. Right. So it has to really be important to come in here. And that's in the RV. Like you were saying, is there one comes in, one goes out. That was the philosophy in the RV. The grandparents love to spoil the aunts and uncles, right? They bring, they bring a bunch of stuff. Oh, this will fit. This is just, it's one little piece. It's one little piece, (laughs) right? I'm like, they have a bunk bed and a shelf and that's it in the RV. So the policy was if something came in, something went out. Um, And we maybe had like four or five changes of clothing each. And no one's come to visit because it's been COVID. Our first guest just left yesterday. So there hasn't been a lot coming into the boat, but it's the same, it's the same philosophy here. You know, if you, if something comes in, something needs to go out. They have, the kids have the biggest space they've had in years because they each have their own cabin, but it's still a boat cabin. So there's a couple cupboards, there's a bed and that's about it. And in the boat, we have to be concerned about weight. Yeah. It's dangerous to be overweight. So we cannot yeah. be loading, loading up stuff here. So yeah, we are definitely, we're definitely minimalists. When we sold all of our stuff, <laughs> we sold it. My, my husband is a recovering accountant. So he does not like to sell <laughs> any, anything for pennies on the dollar, right? So we had several yard sales and we were selling our stuff. And I finally had to say, maybe you need to go to a coffee shop or something because he was, people were like, can I, I'll give you $20 for that. And he was like, do you know what I paid for that? I'm not giving it to you for 20 bucks. I'm like, you can't do that. We got to sell this stuff. Like the, that's the whole point. And I went to the car after and he's got his golfing umbrella in there and a couple of things. I'm like, are you picking stuff off the yard sale? He's like, I'm not selling that for $3. You put that for $3. So I don't want to ever go through that again. That was quite traumatic. And we, yeah. you know, you waste a lot of money. So we really try not to purchase things unless it's function, it has function on the boat and something that really brings us intense joy. Like we have, yeah. like we have a Buddha, we have a little mini Buddha, you know, that brings us joy, you know, like little things like that. We have a little Ganesh, you know, but other than yeah. that, it doesn't, it doesn't come in. Well, I work a lot with my audience and my clients on like Marie Kondoing their house because, you know, kids have too much. They just have too much. They do butterfly play. They never get into deep play because they yep. got too many choices. Um, and it often comes up like the grandparents buying the dollar store shit. Or what do you do? Like we hunt and we snowboard. So we've got stuff, you know, but it brings us so much joy and it's experiences. Like, again, we go back to that experiences over the stuff. And am I going to collect this because it's going to serve me? But I want to tell you, I I moved recently last year. I bought a house mid pandemic, a little stone cottage in the woods. And I went from 2000 square feet to 600 square feet. So I, I had it. to make bold choices and I'm, I'm a minimalist by nature too. And I was like, these pots and pans can't come. I, I need one saucepan. I, I need one good fry. Yes. Pan. Right. You know, I don't need this many pint glasses. I don't need this much silverware, but I get to my house and I'm unpacking and the choices I made, I saved my magic eight ball. I saved my fire <laughs> batons that I used to twirl in the circus. I saved all my circus costumes. And I'm like, no, I don't need pots and pans. But the magic eight ball is how we make decisions. So, <laughs> right, right. And it brings like, you joy. It brings me joy. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting you say that about the grandparents. I want to give a tip for people because please. the grandparents and grandparents, if you're listening, we love you. But it was really, you know, there's no but. We love you. It was really difficult to transition the grandparents away from that because that's how they showed love. 
And that's a generation thing. I mean, it's a, it's a cultural thing. It's a generation thing. Clearly people my age are doing it too. And we had to really sit down and say to them, we, we actually used the kids as an example and said, what did this grandparent get you for Christmas two years ago? Well, I don't know. What did they get you for their birthday this year? Oh, they got me that skydiving trip or whatever. So we really kind of tried to transition the grandparents to giving the kids experiences, even if it wasn't something that they could do with the kid because we were traveling or we lived in a different mm-hmm. state, but giving them experiences so that they had this memory of what they did and who thought of them and gave them that experience rather than some cheap plastic junk that's going to be thrown away. And we started making this transition before we became full-time travelers because one year we got so much plastic on both ends, just junk that they would never use. And after a couple months, they didn't use it, right? And we would just threw it away and all this money going down the drain. And we were like, what are we doing? Yeah. So now the grandparents will either purchase an experience, like they'll say to us, you're in the South of France, our son wants to be a pilot. And so my parents will say, I want to buy him a pilot lesson. We can't, they're not really called lessons at this age, but an experience, a piloting experience for his birthday. So they will, they will transfer money or send money, you know, cash app or whatever, Venmo, and say, this is for him to go and take a flight lesson. And I think those are, you know, for anyone listening, I really try it out with the grandparents. It's going to take some while, a while to get them to transition, but take photos and videos when your kid is up, say like our kid taking that flight and then share it with them and say, look how much joy this has brought him. He will remember this for the rest of his life, that you are the one who supported this dream of his that he had, or this experience that he wanted to have. Um, I think you're bringing up two really important points. Cause I always say that, and everybody who listens to me tries to ask the grandparents for experience, but the grandparents want the joy of the opening the present. They also, I think because of our age, they were depression era kids. And so they love dollar store shit. Like look at all the plastic I got for $1. So they like, that means more to them. And so, but I like, you guys listen to, listen to what Jessica said, film, film the child doing the activity. Thank you, grandma and grandpa. I love this so much. That's really important because then they see the joy. And also, I like how you said we transitioned the grandparents. So it's not one Christmas. You can't say this to your mother one Christmas and expect it to change. But it's going to take a couple of holidays and a couple of years before they're like, oh, wait, this is better. (laughs) And what we what we do is, you know, we're, we're not like you have to do this. We just suggest it and say this really not only does it work for our lifestyle because we travel, we can't be carrying all the stuff with us but it brings the kids joy. And sometimes this is a hard thing to say, but if you ask them why they're buying all this plastic shit and whatever, it brings them joy to do it. But isn't the idea, isn't the idea to bring the kid joy? It's wonderful that the grandparent is doing that. But once you sit and you say to them, it brings you joy. And of course you're their grandparent. We want you to be happy and have joy, but isn't it more important for them to have joy? And, you know, and you to see. And so once we've explained it that way, it's really easy for people to understand. And I don't think that grandparents or friends or birthday party members are doing it maliciously. I just think it's not a way of life that we've lived. Particularly as It's 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 unconscious. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Last thing that I really want to talk about on your website, on your bio, you say that you are HSP highly sensitive person. And I love that because I feel like I am as well, but also probably a lot of my audience. One of the questions I always get as a homeschooler is 
how can you fucking deal with your kid all day long? <laughs> like I can't. And I, and I'm like, that is part of learning how to homeschool is how do you create rhythm and routine around me having my time, work, space, you having your time. I'm a single mom with a single kid. You are a highly sensitive person crammed into tiny spaces with your children. <laughs> how do you do it? Like what, what, think- how do you manage your highly sensitive personality? I just think I'm not mentally stable, so it doesn't bother. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> so okay, so for me, here's the thing with me: it's it's changed over the years as I've aged. But when we had our daughter, I had a corporate design job, and I went to them and I said, "I want to work my 40 hours in three days because I want to be home with my child the rest of the time." They said no. I said, "Why not?" They said. We can't let you, other people ask. I'm like, has anyone else asked? They're like, no. I'm like, well, then why can't I? They're like, you can't. So I went back to work after my maternity leave for three months and then I quit. And I'd already had my own business kind of working on the side and I just geared that up. And I started working from home with a newborn or a six month old baby. So it really is all I have ever known as a parent. I spent three months at home with her without working. So just completely being a stay at home. I spent three months going back to the office and having someone else take care of her. Then I started working from home and raising my children. For me, that was the hardest part to do. And I know it's hard to leave your kids at daycare and go off to the office, but it was really, really, because I never got to break up the two. I never got to be, this is work, this is parenting. They were always intermingled. And so from a very young, you know, for me being much younger at the time and having a young child, this is all I've ever known. And so it's kind of ebbed and flowed as the years gone, as, as she has changed, as we've added another kid, as we've moved, as we've transitioned to, to, to traveling. And on top of it all, I made, my husband, I made the decision to not do tech. So our kids had absolutely no tech until they were 10. And at 10, they just got a Kindle with no um, Wi-Fi on it. So they didn't really start having anything with Wi-Fi or internet until around 12-ish. And that's when they became homeschooling full time and, and things change and transition and they were getting older. So we loosened the reins and whatnot. So people are always amazed. Like, how did you work and do this at the same time? How did, you know, how did you not want it? It was, it was not easy, but I wanted to be home while my kids were home and I wanted a career. So I had to make the decision to make it work. Yeah. And in their okay. early years, in their early years, pre-travel, my husband worked long hours and he traveled. I did eventually add a, uh, a nanny 20 hours a week, which gave me enough of the separation so that I could go work at a coffee shop and the nanny and Avalon would stay at home. And that was, it was able, now remember, I was a lot younger too. I was in my early thirties. So it was a very, right. at a different energy level. You know, I wasn't, you know, things were very, very different. I processed things much quicker. I could work late nights. I could work through the night if I needed to. And I did whatever it took. I felt like with one child, I had enough of a break when my, and I didn't feel like restricted or closed in or trapped or anything like that. But I also had a partner who was, when he was there was very present. And I I had opportunities to go out with girlfriends or go out with other artists, friends of mine. So I had a really good balance when we lived in Los Angeles for the first couple of years of Avalon's life. I never felt like it was overwhelming. She was, oh, she was also a phenomenal sleeper. So she would go to bed at six at night, <laughs> six at night and wake up at six the next morning. Now, when she woke up at six, you better get your ass out of bed. because She's ready to go. There's no snuggling. We're getting up. We're getting stuff done. You know, so oh my God, let me stop you right there. So Pascal <laughs> went to bed at five, but at five <laughs> in the morning, cause he was at five in the morning. So he would go to bed at yeah. five at night and he would come to me and go like this. 
Like with yeah, my right. eyes, like open my eye and I would be like, listen, you can go play with fire and knives if you let mommy sleep for a little bit longer. And he'd be like, no, mommy, get up. <laughs> so, so you can totally relate. So those, those first couple of years were not that difficult because I had pockets of breaks and I had a huge social community because I lived in Los Angeles for 13 years. So I had friends that were parents, friends that were not parents, you know, straight friends, gay friends, whatever you call it, every a whole gamut. I had a really lovely life. Then we made the decision to move to the suburb of Boston and, you know, all the shit hit the fan. Life was not so good for me. We moved into a suburb. Everyone else thought that I was the babysitting service because I was home as well, but I was working. We had yeah. to transition out of that and kind of clue people in. Yeah. Um, I couldn't find a good nanny. I had another baby. That second baby was not a good sleeper. Life became a lot more challenging, but luckily my parents were three hours away driving and my mom would come down a lot and give me pockets of time to be able to work. Yep. And, you know, work, I didn't, I didn't really have any friends. It took, it took about a year to make friends, but I had two little kids in a business and it, that was the busiest year of my business as well. So I had to, I, I had my mom who would come down and help and I found a nanny, but she wasn't great. So she wasn't many hours. I don't, I honestly don't know how I did it. I think I've become more sensitive as I've gotten older. Right. And right. so it's been more challenging as I've gotten older, but I, because I've had these stages, it's not like I just jumped in all of a sudden with a 10 year old. Like I had been doing this all along. Right. So used to it. right. <coughs> and I think it's important. I, I watched one of you guys' videos on like the five things that nobody tells you about travel and, and world traveling. and one thing that really stuck out for me was you made a lifestyle choice after seven years of decision-making, but it wasn't a vacation. So you didn't step yeah. into like right away you were into self-sufficiency. How am I going to make this work? How is my life? Like, that's how I feel about homeschooling is it became this thing of like me and him negotiating our space is the yeah. most important thing I can do right now, you know, and working late, taking clients later, all that kind of thing. So I think the important thing, though, that you keep saying that I want to reiterate for my people here is, you guys, you can create it. It's work. It's a different kind yes. of work, but you can yes. create it. If you're unhappy, if you don't like your kid's social scene, if you don't like their school, if you don't like where you're at, and I have long been, one thing I learned as a single mom, I've always been single. So when I had my son, I lived in San Francisco. I was in a four-story walk-up. When you opened my front door, it was literally three floors of stairs, like the longest oh stairway ever. <laughs> so I had my son and I was like, yo, I need meals because I'm breastfeeding. All of my friends worked in the restaurant business, came late at night. I left my door unlocked and they left food on every step. I didn't have to make a I meal for it. three months, but community. So what you have found is a global oh, community, but it's community. you got to find your people and you have to ask for help. And one of the reasons I feel so strongly about travel, I've traveled extensively. When I landed in China, I'd done Europe like you, right? And I speak French. I can get along with some Spanish and some Italian. I get to China and I was like, I don't know what the fuck anything says. I knew McDonald's right. and Starbucks. And I felt like right. I was going to pass out because I didn't know any of the, the symbols. Do you know how humbling it is to be a grown woman and have to ask for a bathroom and mime that I like every single person needs to mime I need to shit because I have diarrhea right now where's the yeah. bathroom <laughs> it's travel you know traveling is I always say it's it makes you a better person because you become so appreciative you come you know you you're not going to be the person saying oh I wish this person in front of me in line at Dunkin Donuts would speak English and hurry up 
Like you, you become understanding of that because you become that person. You become the person in China miming of how to go to the toilet. And you, right. you're grateful for anyone who will step up and say, do you need some help? Someone will step up <laughs> and speaks, you know, speaks yeah. Mandarin and English and can help you get through yeah. that. And I think it's very, very, very humbling to have, to have that assistance and to learn that we all need help. You know, you mentioned about community. That's a huge part of how we survive out here. And I think that made COVID even extra hard on us because we lost our community like everyone else. Right. But we, we, we lost, we lost our community as well. And we were such social beings and out exploring and doing things so much that it was like overnight, it just went away. Right. And we need other people. And I think it's really important if you're looking to transition your life and you're unhappy in your life, like you're saying, go out and find that other life, find that community. I always say, find that community and pick their brain, whether it's at a coffee shop, whether it's at an unschooling meetup, whether it's on a Facebook group, whether it's watching their YouTube videos, find the people. If you want that life, find those people, study what they write, what they produce, what they say, and figure out how they did it. Especially if they've been out here doing it, whatever it is, if it's just, if you want to be a homesteader, if they've been out there doing, the people who've lasted out there the longest are the ones who have figured out how to do it, whatever that is. And so, you know, we all need help. I mean, you shouldn't go at it alone, right? Study these people and then ask for their help. The, the, yeah. the, the, the worst they can say is, I don't have time or here's a video or here's something I created that might be helpful. Or maybe they'll give you four or five paragraphs on an email that'll help you out. Or maybe they happen to be in the same city as you if you're traveling and they're willing to have a coffee. You buy them a coffee, buy them a coffee, yeah, yeah. buy them a donut. So, you know? I think and, it's so important. The biggest complaint I hear from people is I'm, I'm alone. I, I live no family around. I haven't been able to make mom friends. And I always say like, as a single mom going into motherhood, I knew there was no, I had no backup. So I was like, Hey, you, you want to hold my kid here? Like, I don't, <laughs> I'm going to be choosy, you know? Right. It's true. It's true. Because, you know, you were a single yeah, mom knowing that you, myth. that you were alone and we're out traveling, knowing that we can't call the neighbor for sick. Right. Yeah. So we got, we got it. We got to figure it out. And we're at, by nature, we're survivors. We can survive. And, and I'm assuming there's a lot of women listening to this. You're tough. Like we, we birth babies. Right. <laughs> we're tough. Like if you, if you can, if they can take a baby out of you, either cut it or however it comes out. I had C-sections yeah. and that was horrifying. You know, you can figure out this next phase in your life, whatever it is. I think that we underestimate ourselves and you know, what's the worst that's going to happen. It doesn't work. You go back to your old life. You know, it's, it's, you, you may lose some, a little bit of money on the, on the way, but maybe you've learned something, maybe you've grown, you know, it's the, taking that first step is really hard. And I say that from someone who had this fear of living on a boat. And even though I wanted to do it, it's been the scariest thing that I've done. And eat, you know, each time we make a transition into something new, it's like we're upping the ante and doing something even more difficult. And as we get older, that becomes harder, right? Harder. You know, we were talking about being highly sensitive. Well, now at this point in my life, I just went for a four day hike. I took my son and went for a four day hike in the worst possible time I could go right before a guest was coming right when I should be really getting ahead of my work, but I needed some space and I needed a break and I needed nature. And so I said, I'm just going to do that. I'm going to do some self-care and I'm going, and that's, what's going to happen. And so I think that we need to look at just, we need to look at self-care as well as lifestyle choice. Like just do it, just make the choice to do it and then set a date and do it. And you can always go back. I say that about homeschool and try it. You can always put them back in school. Right? Try it. You know, you might love it. Listen, we're almost at an hour and I could go another six <laughs> easily. So as soon as we hang up, I'm booking my flight to Mallorca to bring you some more toilet filters 
for your right? Can you bring some Twizzlers? Two please Twizzlers. Uh, I'm not, yes, but I'm not going to bring you plastic <laughs> shit. Um, <laughs> I am going to add that you are doing the Galapagos uh, in February yes. 2022. So Pascal and I might actually join you for that. Oh, we why would love you, that. Why don't you let people know where they can find you, that you guys do travel services, that if they want to dip so, their toes into this. Awesome. So we're world towning on all social media. Every Friday we produce a vlog on YouTube about this travel lifestyle, where we are in the world, what's going on, how we handle medical, how we handle homeschooling, how we, you know, fix the toilet on the boat, all that kind of stuff. Uh, There's a lot of vlogs there that you can go back and check, you know, for years and years and years back. We also have a consulting business where we um, coach people on the logistics of full-time travel. So say you want to go travel for six months, but you have no clue about how to handle the medical, the schooling, the housing, all that kind of stuff. We, we do coaching for that. And then the final part of our business, which has everything's obviously was on pause through COVID, but everything's lighting up again, which is so exciting, is we host group trips. And we have one, the first one is in October, but registration is closed for that one already. It's a ladies only trip to Morocco. And then the next one is Galapagos in January, February. And it's um, part of the time in Quito. So exploring the rich culture there. And then seven days on a boat sailing, not sailing, sorry, motoring around the islands of the Galapagos and exploring the culture and the terrain and sailing, you know, with sea lions and turtles and all that, and even sharks, all that kind of fun stuff. So I think we have five spots left on that. We can't take as many on that as we normally do on our trips, just because um, it's a small, it's a boat and our trips are all led by us. So that's kind of the, our, our thing. And what separates us from other group trips is that the four of us go on every trip that we host and in any place that we host a trip, we have lived for a minimum of three months and up to several years. So we didn't live in the Galapagos. We lived in Ecuador and Ecuador is uh, Galapagos is part of Ecuador. So that kind of gives you, I guess, a, a little bit of, of what we do, an idea of, you know, on how we do all this. And um, yeah. No, that's awesome. So you guys, if you feel like you want to start traveling, I feel like dipping your toes in, going with a group trip, right? That's always safe. It's like your expat experience. <laughs> Let's try it. Let's see. Yeah, we have a lot of people who don't necessarily want to travel full-time, but like the way that we travel. Like, I want to go on a vacation the way you travel. So that's kind of how the trips evolve. But anyway. Perfect. You are amazing. Thank you so much for being here. I have enjoyed this hour thoroughly. And uh, we'll catch you on the globe somewhere. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I love that you asked, you know, the deeper questions and didn't ask me what my favorite country is and all that kind of stuff because that's so boring. I love that you got really into the the nitty-gritty of it because that's what really matters. That's how we get... Other people kind of living their authentic life, right? Whatever it is to see that other people are here doing it and we're not totally crazy, just a little crazy, right? <laughs> so thank I you. Think for you might me. be a lot crazy, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, thank you. Bye. All right. I'm going to sign off for today. You can always go to jamieglowacki.com for the super cool latest updates, including the launch of my new book, Yummy New Book Presale Treats when we release new episodes, and how to work with me directly. And of course, if you need any potty training help, there's a handy link there that will take you to all my potty training resources, including all my courses. That's the Oh Crap Potty Training online course, my pooping solutions course, and my night training supplement. And if you need additional help, how to book with a certified Oh Crap consultant. That's all at jamieglowacki.com. Have a beautiful day and rock on.